Good morning, church. So good to see you. If it is your first time in, or first time in for a long time, so good to have you with us. Just want to give you a huge warm welcome. Do you know what? I was really excited this morning, just seeing a church full of when we had these families in, and they are coming back in at the end of the meeting, so I wanted to give, you, give them a, a huge warm welcome back. Do you know that's really exciting? For me, that's why we're here. It is exactly the reason why we're here, when families can come in, see, join in in worship, and then actually, do you know what? They'd be in church out there as well. Because they're telling the story of Jesus just as they go around the streets. I think it's fantastic. Um, but this is the day, essentially. What we've been doing in our, in our message series is we've been looking at this kind of journey to Jerusalem. And this kind of essentially is the day when Jesus' journey into Jerusalem reaches its climax. Two weeks ago, we, said, we read that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And it's interesting. As you, if you read Luke's gospel, I spent some time this month just going through Luke's gospel, reading Jesus' journey uh, to Jerusalem. And, and you see this track constantly that, that Jesus is focused on what he's going to do. And I love those words that the NLT gives us, that he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. But what happens is Jesus leaves Galilee in Luke 9 and he goes into this Samaritan village. And the Samaritan villagers, they don't welcome him. They don't want Jesus there because they know he's going on to Jerusalem. And essentially what they want him to do is die on their hill. How many people want Jesus to die on their hill? And actually Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm here to go to my mountain. I'm here to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus just moves on. He just says, no, no, I'm not staying here because I'm not here for your hill. I'm moving on to the mountain that I'm sent to. So Jesus moves on. It says this, and we should have this on the slides, that Jesus went through the towns and the villages teaching as he went. And I love this next line, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. He's always pressing on. He's not staying around. He's going through these places. He keeps that focus on where he's going. He gets to a place called Jericho, and, and he doesn't stop in Jericho because it says this, that he made his way through. He made his way through the town. And if you read that passage, you'll read that he meets a man called Zacchaeus, and Jesus stops for lunch at Zacchaeus' house, and then he moves on again. That he's constantly moving and he's constantly teaching on the way to Jerusalem. And he tells these parables and Luke tells us again. He says, after telling this story, so Jesus has just told this long parable. And it says, Jesus did what? He went on. He went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead. I love this line, walking ahead of his disciples. I really love that line because the, the disciples knew where they were going. They knew they were going to Jerusalem, but Jesus was ahead of them. Not just kind of physically, but actually emotionally. Spiritually, Jesus was ahead of them. Can I, can I say prophetically, Jesus was ahead of them. He knew where he was going. He knew the journey. And, and you'd be forgiven for thinking, okay, well, Jesus, he's, he's heading for Friday. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem for Friday. But I want to argue, actually, Jesus isn't thinking about Friday. He's not even thinking about Sunday. He's thinking beyond that. You know, Sunday is the day when Jesus rises again. If you didn't know that, sorry, spoilers. Um, but Jesus isn't thinking about Sunday. Actually, Jesus' mind, he's thinking beyond Sunday. He's thinking of a day another 40 days away, 40-something days away, when actually that's on his ascension. Because it talks about that he, he, when the time came for Jesus to ascend, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't focused on Friday. He wasn't focused on Sunday. He's focused on his ascension but before that he knew there's a job to do he knew there was a job that needed to do he knew in his mind there was this ascension but to get to that he had to go through sunday and to get to sunday he had to go through friday and i just want to give you some of the the things he had to go through jesus had to be beaten 
He had to be mocked. He had to endure six different interrogations and trials, most of which were illegal according to Jewish law. He was whipped 49 times, tearing the skin from his body. He had a crown of thorns, four-inch thorns, pressed down into his head. He carried a 50-kilogram cross to his own execution site. He has nails driven through his hands and his feet. There's some suggestion that his shoulder was dislocated in the process of crucifixion. It fits in with Psalm 22, where David says, my bones are out of joint. Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. It talks about everything Jesus has to go through. He went through all that and kept going because he hadn't got to the cross yet. He's hung up for six hours, tied, tired, thirsty, bleeding internally from the beating, bleeding externally. Why? Because the Bible says this, because of the joy awaiting him. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Because actually what Jesus saw ahead of him, he went through what he went through. He had the strength and the endurance to go through the cross, to be killed, to be buried. It says this, disregarding its shame. And where is he now? Seated in the place of honor. Because of the joy set before him. And there's the joy. The joy was Jesus awaiting to return to, to heaven, but he couldn't get there without finishing this work first. He couldn't get there without doing this job first, and he was resolute. Do you know that's why we take communion? When we have the bread of communion, it's a reminder of the body that was broken. It's a body that was whipped. It's a body that was beaten so we could be made whole. And Jesus went through that punishment so we could be made whole. I believe physically. I believe spiritually. I believe emotionally. I believe mentally. He endured the cross because of what it would mean for us. David wrote this. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who've done what? Set their minds set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing. Do you know what? You might be walking in a tough place right now. Even today, you might feel like you're walking in a tough place. But I want to suggest when your focus is on God, actually, it changes your perspective. When your focus is on God, what God has called you to do for the joy awaiting you, it changes your perspective. It says this, the autumn rains, this place of, of, of weeping, We'll, we'll be clothed with blessings. You know what? When you focus on God, it brings provision. And it says this, they will continue to grow stronger. When you focus on God, it actually, that, that focus brings perseverance. It gives you the energy and the motivation to keep going. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy awaiting him. What was the joy? His ascension to heaven. Once his job has been done. Why, and he's probably saying, well, why are you saying that? Why are you focused on this kind of thing about the job being done? Well, actually, Jesus says this, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. Who sent me and from finishing his work. This is what Jesus was here for. He was here to finish a job. Aren't you glad Jesus is, a, is someone who finishes his work? Jesus is someone who actually finishes the job. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite glad Jesus didn't give up halfway through. I'm quite glad that Jesus didn't think, do you know what, I just don't fancy it, but maybe I'll do it next year. Jesus knew there was a job to do. And actually, there's a prayer Jesus prays to God, because Jesus was human as well as God. He said, God, I, if I can get away with not doing this, then please take this away. But then in a heartbeat, he says, but if it's your will, I'll finish the job. And that was Jesus' goal, not just to get to heaven, not just to, to go back to heaven knowing the work was, was done, but as he, as he hung on the cross, he saw me. He saw 
you. He saw everything that we ever did that separated us from God. And he knew that by dying, he would take that away. He knew that he would take away the sins of the world, all our sin, all our shame, all our pain, and take it away. He paid the price for it. Isaiah tells us it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were punishment from God, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was pierced for our sins, crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be made whole, whipped so we could be healed. We've all strayed away, but the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This was not about Jesus being punished. This was about Jesus taking it for us. And I'd love you to go away and kind of study that this weekend. It's incredible, prophetic um, message, but, but Jesus goes through all that. He goes through all that pain, all the suffering, all the humiliation, all the heartache, and then on the cross, Jesus says these incredible words. It's finished. It is finished. And then what happened? He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Do you know what? The cross didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. He said this, no one can take my life from me. I do what? I sacrifice it voluntarily. Because I've got the authority to lay it down when I want to and to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. There was a job to do. Why did Jesus do it? Romans 8, probably one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. For God showed his great love for us. He didn't just tell us. He showed us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While, when we didn't even want to know. When we were looking the wrong way, he showed his love. He demonstrated his love by sending Christ. And Jesus says these incredible words, it is finished. And it's interesting because this, this, these, these words, it is finished, it's actually one Greek word. It's, it's one Greek word, tetelestai, uh, uh, and it means basically to, to, to bring to a close, to, to accomplish something, to complete something, uh, or to fulfill something. In, in old Greek um, culture, if you paid a bill, they would write tetelestai on the bottom of the bill to say it's paid. Paid in full, accomplished, done. And this word is only used twice in the whole New Testament. And it's used in this, this passage because it says this, when Jesus knew his mission was now tetelestai, it was now finished, accomplished, it was done. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. So he gets this jar of wine and he tasted this wine and he says it again, tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus finishes the job. Do you know I love finishing things? I love the satisfaction, maybe it's part of my kind of mindset, but I love the satisfaction of finishing things. That idea, I can't bear it when a, a series stops on Netflix. <laughs> and you're just left there. Um, you know, and you kind of, or you, you know, do you remember the old days when you had to wait every week for it to come out? Now on Netflix, you just watch the lot in one go. It's brilliant. You get that feeling of it being finished. You know, I, I love finishing puzzles. I love doing puzzles. I, I finished a jigsaw just yesterday. It had taken me three weeks, and I was really, really pleased because on the box it said two to four years. <laughs> but I hate leaving things unfinished. 
I, I hate that idea of kind of, I, I love that sense of knowing something's done, something's complete, and, and whatever you've been with. Is anyone with me? Anyone love that feeling of being finished, or are we all just kind of half-hearted people? Um, but but what, we, what we miss in the English here, and, and this is where English is, is almost kind of inferior to the Greek a little bit, is because the Greeks have something that we don't have. They have what's called a perfect tense. We don't have it in, in, in the English language. What perfect tense is, is basically something is, is, is said, and it means now and forever. So something in the present tense means now. Something in the past tense is, is then. Something in the future tense is kind of forever. The perfect tense is now and forever, both equally kind of important in that. So when Jesus says it is finished, he says it in the perfect tense. So it's finished then and it's finished forever. So everything Jesus set about to do was finished. All the prophecies about Jesus' death were accomplished. The law is fulfilled. The debt is paid. My sins are paid for now and forever. Salvation is complete. Redemption's finalized. When Jesus says it is finished, it is finished. You know what, when we look at the cross, sometimes we look at the cross and think it's a symbol of death. It's a, or it's a symbol of, of defeat. Do you know what, for me, it's a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of a job done. It's a symbol of a, of a job well done, if you like. Actually, it's the stamp on the book of your life that says, paid for. It's the stamp on your passport. Purple passports, everyone, please. But it's the stamp on your passport that says, do you know what, access granted. Because it's a symbol of victory. It's, it's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol that actually declares, you know what? We're saved. We're redeemed. We're restored. We're sanctified. We're set free. Not just now. Perfect tense. Forever. Always. And do you know what? It's a promise God made to us thousands of years before Jesus came to earth. Before Jesus even was a, a twinkle in Joseph's eye, God made this promise that Jesus says this promise is Fulfilled, because God says this to Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression. And in that context, he's saying, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you out of, of where you are. Then he says, I'm going to rescue you from your slavery. And, and you, if you've been in this church any length of time, you'll know that there's a difference in these two phrases. Firstly, I'm going to bring Egypt. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you out of this kind of slavery that you're stuck in. I'm going to get you out of it, but then I'm going to get Egypt out of you. Because you've come out of Egypt, but Egypt's still in you. And you'll see in, that in, the, in the, the Exodus narrative, they want to go back to Egypt all the time, not just physically, but they want to go back to the culture. They want to go back to the rituals. They want to go back to the routines. And some of us in our lives, we get set free, but we want to go back. And Jesus said, I'm going to take you out of your oppression, and then I'm going to rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I'm going to get you out of where you are, and I'm going to get where you were out of you. Then he says this, I'll redeem you with a powerful arm, great acts of judgment, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. And the Israelites took these to be four promises that the Israelites still hold on to to these, this day. I will bring you out of Egypt. I'll get Egypt out of you. I'll redeem you and I'll claim you as my own. And we have what's known as the Passover Supper. And it's a, it's a tradition that developed over years where the Jewish people attributed a cup during the Passover supper to each of these four promises. So over a Passover supper, they would drink four cups of wine, each one for a promise. The first one was the cup of sanctification. I'm going to get you out. 
I'm setting you apart as my people. We call that in this church having a revived heart, being saved by God. We call it salvation. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. I'm going to get that slave mindset. I'm going to get that bondage mentality. I'm going to help you get free of your past and into all you've got for you. We call that restoring hope. And the third cup is the one that happens after the meal. And we read the narrative of the Last Supper, and Jesus is, is, is ready for his crucifixion, this Passover supper. And it says that after the supper, Jesus took the cup. So we know it was this third cup, and it's the cup that we have as part of communion. And it's the cup of redemption. I will redeem you. And I want to go back a little bit, but I want to ask, is anyone old enough to remember Esso points? Tiger points, I think they were called. Anyone remember tiger points? Um, and do you know what? You'd, you'd put some petrol in your car, and for every kind of five pounds you, you put in, you'd get a tiger token. Now they'd be worth billions. Um, and, and there'd be this catalogue you'd, you'd flick through. I think we got a picture of them somewhere. And, and I remember they had an ESO T-shirt with a tiger on it. I wanted an ESO T-shirt. It was 20 tokens. Do you know what? The T-shirt's probably worth about 200 quid. But it was 20 tokens, and I was desperate for 20 tokens. My mate, Matthew Lane, he had, an, he had a Tiger T-shirt, and I wanted one. And I desperately wanted Tiger token. And my dad, we had an MG Montego. Anyone remember an MG Montego? Yeah. Um, anyway, we had this, we had, and he had this stack of Tiger tokens, this, this huge pile. And I said, Dad, can I have 20? No. But I want a Tiger T-shirt. No, you can't have one. But, the, but this was this, this concept of kind of, I had no idea what dad was saving them for, still to this day, but he just kept saving them, and then eventually they stopped doing them. Um, but what would happen is this, you would, you'd save your tokens up, and eventually when you had enough, you'd take your tokens into the ESO shop, and you would hand your tokens over, and you would get back the thing you wanted. You'd redeem them. You'd give them up to get something back. If you look at redeem in a dictionary, it means to win back. It also means to free. So when God redeems us, he pays our debt. He pays for our sin through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God gives Jesus up and wins us back. I want to invite the band back up as we, we start to close. Paul says it's in Colossians, you were dead because of your sins. You were dead. But God made you alive. God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Do you know what? We're made alive in Christ. We're made alive in Jesus, but only as long as we accept it. There's a passage in Kings that says, may he turn our hearts to God, turning our hearts towards the things of God. And, and we want to give an opportunity in this service that if you haven't accepted God into your life, or actually maybe you need to make a recommitment, there's an opportunity for you to do that. But 1 Timothy 6 says this, some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. Some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. And, and for us, it's the most important thing we can do as a church, that we do everything we can through our giving, through our serving, through our services, through our messages to help people encounter God to help people enter into a relationship with 
God. But I want to tell you this morning that as we talk about redemption, there's value in a redemptive process. See, when you go to redeem your tokens, what you're doing is redeeming something of value. Value is actually uh, determined by how much you're prepared to pay. If you're not prepared to pay much for something, it's not that valuable. So if that's true, I want you to think about the value God places on your life. That if the value of something is determined by how much you're prepared to pay, God sent his son, his only son, to redeem you, to to win you back, to bring you back so you could be his child. It goes on to say God would, would rescue us with an outstretched arm. Do you know what? It's, it's an outstretched, another translation says powerful arm. It's powerful because only God could do it. Only God could reach into the dirt and pull us out because we're too much value to be left where we are. Can I tell you, God always loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. There's always a next step, always somewhere to move you forward. So I want to encourage you, if you've got a communion cup in front of you, you haven't, just wave at a steward and they'll, they'll get you one. Because we do it to remember that we're redeemed by God. We've been bought back. So would you take your cup and, and we're going to pray these, these words And I'm not going to lead communion as such. I want you to take this when you're ready. And make it a personal moment between you and God. Where you say, God, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for everything I I gain from the cross. The job that is finished. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay for our sins. To bring us back to life thank you for dying for me for dying so that I might be alive we take this bread we take this wine to remember the body that was broken that we could be whole and the blood that was poured out so that we could be set free we could be redeemed And we could live our lives worshipping you. Thank you, God. Band are going to lead us in a song. And just as I said, just take communion when you're ready. And we'll close with a song. Thanks, Thanks.